I'm going to share with you guys tonight how to make decisions according to God's will. And it's a very simple process, as you can see. Um, just kidding, it's not simple. Um, I'm assuming that, like, by us being here tonight, um, and uh, assuming that believers have a desire to walk according to God's will, or to walk in His will, like, I'll assume that. And I think that assumes that there's other options, like we can not walk in God's will, maybe walk in our own will. But tonight, if you are willing to submit your decisions to God's will above your own will, then you're already in God's will. Um, that's kind of, uh, that's where we're going to end up tonight. But if your greatest desire is God's will, more than your own will, then you're already doing or in God's will. So I hope that like I can help to provide, and Scripture help us to provide with some um, help in making decisions according to God's will, but it's ultimately only going to be a help if your desire for God's will is greater than your desire for your own will, which I think is a work that God does in our heart. Um, and I think that will be the case with us. But um, last week, real quickly, I shared about kind of three aspects of God's will, his sovereign will, his sovereign will being this, what God says will happen, will happen. And like he says um, through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. So our, well, our choices, our decisions can't thwart that will, this perfect hidden plan of God, it just happens because God says it's going to happen. His moral will, another kind of aspect, what God desires, we said, well, that doesn't always happen, right? And so, um, hey, y'all. What God desires, his will, in a sense, doesn't always happen. So what he's revealed to us in the Bible, what's right and wrong, we don't always do. And we, we go against his will, right? Well, we're going against his moral will. It's just kind of what we titled it. So we have a choice to make. Are we going to do God's will or not? That's here in Scripture. So his sovereign will, we can't stop his sovereign will from happening. Um, but we can choose to not worship him. And so we can choose not to do his moral will. That makes sense? Um, thirdly, we talked about a specific will, which I said was something that really seems to be a, a central focus of God's will in the last couple, maybe a couple hundred centuries of the church. And it's, it's the will of God that is maybe more specific than his moral will, which he's revealed to us in Scripture, where Scripture doesn't command specifically. We still have to make decisions, right? Like, who am I going to marry? Where am I going to work? Where am I going to go to school? Where am I going to live? And we said that's kind of like people are searching for the bullseye, like the center of God's will within his moral will. It's good for, you know, God says it's good, but it's even something in addition, something further. And somehow we're supposed to search and hear God telling us specifically what to do, like what's the best part of his will. The first two of these, sovereign moral, these, I mean, you might have other titles for them, but these are really agreeable among um, most Christians that I've heard um, discussing the will of God. Yes, God's sovereignly in control and his plan always happens. Yes, he reveals to us in scripture what to do generally, uh, what's right and wrong, and then we choose whether or not we're going to do that or not. But the third will, his specific will, isn't um, agreed upon by everyone. And um, I suggested last week that it may not be something 
that we have to be concerned with. Now, if you missed last week, I think that maybe all of you were here, maybe not Shalari. Um, if it's concerning, if I say, hey, we may not need to, need to be concerned about hearing what God wants specifically in a given situation, then that's like kind of some of what we discussed last week. So we're going to go off the premise today of, that we kind of, that I said last week, that God has not, he's not told us to figure out his specific will for us in, his, in, in our decisions, that we don't have to seek out his specific guidance, like him telling us this is specifically what I want you to do. Um, I mentioned three dangers in listening to for a voice that, that may not be how may not be there. Uh, one of those is that we can be paralyzed and inactive because we're just waiting on a word from God that he may not provide and um, we've got plenty to do and so we shouldn't just sit stagnant and not do anything because we haven't heard what God specifically wants us to do and he's given us his word already. Um, another danger is that we might be unnecessarily concerned about our relationship with God. Like, why is God speaking to me? Like, he speaks to this person. Or like, he, I used to hear him speak in my life or whatever. And uh, maybe I'm not a strong Christian or there's something wrong with my growth in Christ because I'm not hearing the voice of God. Well, that's maybe we're unnecessarily concerned about that. Thirdly, I said we might become angered because God's not blessing what he told me he wants me to do, right? And so I, I get mad at God, well, I thought I heard you say this and I'm doing this and it's just not panning out like I want it to. And, and so, or, or like I would expect it to if it's your will and if you told me that. So I don't want us to fall into those traps. Um, but it, if you like, we'll go follow me, follow along with me tonight. And we're gonna touch a lot of scripture. You don't have to flip to them, maybe write something down if it catches a question in your mind. Um, but I, I will say this before we jump into it. If God wants to tell you something specifically, he will initiate that communication. And if you look to the examples of scripture, God will break into your normal course of life and in some obvious, probably miraculous way, he's going to present to you crystal clearly what he wants you to know. If he's going to do that, and you won't have to guess, is this God or what is God saying? You won't have to guess based on, well, I, I, is this this hunch? Is this God or is this circumstance? You don't have to read those things and, and be unsure of it. If he if he wants to tell you. You will know what he said. At least that's what seems to happen with people in Scripture. And if you're not sure that you've heard from God, then you didn't. Because he, he's able to communicate very clearly to us. So just that's kind of the premise that, that we're never told expressly in Scripture to, to seek that kind of specific direction. And if it happens at all, it's, it's unusual. It's not just the typical way that we have to go about making decisions. And if, if that's bothersome to you, again, watch the podcast next week. We've heard last week. We can talk about it more. But um, So we don't maybe, as so often I have, many of us do, have to come to God necessarily asking these specific W questions. Where, when, what, who? Asking God, um, where does God want me to live? Where does God want me to go to school? When am I supposed to change careers? Who does God want me to marry? Like, who is the one God wants me to marry? Who 
does God want me to witness to? Or who does God want me to disciple? Or what does God want me to do? Like all these W words. And all of these um, decisions that maybe God isn't going to tell us specifically. So what I want to do tonight is replace those W questions with some other Ws. And uh, I'm not huge on using alliteration, or is that alliteration? Yeah. Um, but that's, that's what's going to happen tonight. Hopefully it's more memorable. Um, so just steps in making decisions according to God's will. And there's going to be three W's, okay? <coughs> Let me just do this. <laughs> All right, so first off, we've already said this, and again, I don't think anybody disagrees with this. If the Bible says it, then it's God's will, and we ought to do it. So step one in making decisions according to God's will, is knowing his clear moral will that he's already revealed in scripture. Um, so just know God's word. There's W number one. Um, and I'm going to beat a dead horse for just a second. Um, if you want to know God's will for your life, then you have to continue growing in your understanding of his written word. And don't tell me or anyone that you're waiting to hear from God if you're not willing to spend significant time reading and studying what he's clearly communicated in the scriptures. So um, uh, God, uh, Joshua says this, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth or God. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. This is the, the, the book that they had at the time, the books shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. So how will we be, or how will the Israelites be prosperous and successful? Not necessarily by finding the specific center of God's will, but by, by knowing the word that he's given to them. So you want to find God's will? I think our application is read it, study it, memorize it. It's right here before us. Meditate on it. If you want a clear word from God, then he's like literally given us like written down words that we can look at and read and know and uh, look into. So I can't like emphasize enough this first step. If you want to know, like God's will is God's word, okay? That's the... Uh, a simple way maybe to look at it. The Bible is God's manual, his will, and yes, it's big, it's gonna take a long time to learn, we're not gonna ever learn all of it, but it's been given to us so that we don't have to just go around guessing, well, I wonder what God wants, well, he's told us what he wants. So when you're praying, God, give me direction, then pray with your Bible open maybe, because he said something about the decision that you're needing to make. So, at our church, um, we are learning God's will, hopefully, on Wednesday nights here, because we study the Bible, where God's revealed his will. Um, I would also expect that everyone also has other avenues of also of exploring the Bible as well. Um, just Wednesday night, once a week, doesn't sound like meditate on it day and night, a kind of a command. So um, maybe there's personal Bible studies you're involved with, or group Bible studies, or just ways that you're ingesting the word of God and learning it, because God's will is God's word. If you want to know God's will, then get to know God's word. So, 
Okay, that maybe that's obvious, but it's it's worth saying, and um, I'm probably going to say it again before the night's over. What about where Scripture doesn't speak specifically? Okay, because um, it doesn't tell me an answer to every situation. If it does, uh, I mean, you may have to really move on. You've already the decision's already been made. So, if you want to continue on. I think the Bible teaches us to seek wisdom. While there's an absence in Scripture that I've seen of finding God's will, there's no absence in Scripture of seeking wisdom. A couple of Proverbs. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Proverbs 4. Get wisdom. Get insight. I love this part. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Um, Proverbs 8, where wisdom's like is personified, and wisdom says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me, wisdom speaking. James 1 um, says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. He gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Wisdom is something that Scripture does tell us we should seek, and we're able to find wisdom. So what is wisdom? Wisdom, um, I'll give you a couple definitions. Uh, one author said wisdom is the ability to figure out what is spiritually profitable in a given situation. We'll say this is biblical wisdom. I guess there's other kinds of wisdom, but the ability to figure out what is spiritually profitable in a given situation. Another person, A.W. Tozer, says wisdom is sanctified common sense. Maybe just sanctified sense would even make more sense. But it's it's... Now that our, our, we have been set apart, we have a new way of looking at life, and so our sense about things is different, and we walk in wisdom. Wisdom carries with it the idea of not just doing what's commanded, that's obedience, but instead weighing out different morally good options and deciding what's best. So I think that's what Paul is talking about when he says all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. So there's lots of things that we can do, but they're not necessarily the, the best thing to do. So I could stay up till 4 a.m. watching TV tonight um, without sinning, maybe, but that doesn't mean necessarily that that's the wise thing to do. Um, maybe it is, but I know it's not for me tonight because I've got a lot of things to do tomorrow. Um, but we can be in the moral will of God, and even within that, we have to exercise wisdom. And what should we do? It's the things Paul says that are profitable and things that edify. So it's interesting, the New Testament, though, though we like to look at the places where God speaks specifically to somebody to help them, under, to, help them to make decisions, and the Holy Spirit says something that seems almost audibly, or some miracle or vision happens, um, there's other ways that the apostles make decisions. I want to read a couple of the phrases that it says um, about the apostles, the early followers of Christ, um, how they made decisions. So unless, unless God interrupts their life miraculously to tell them something, which we've said isn't necessarily the norm or we have to seek, here's how they make decisions. First Thessalonians, um, they decide, it says, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to such and such. Um, in 1 Corinthians 16, 
Paul says, if it seems advisable, I will do this or that. Or the NASB says, if it is fitting, I will do this or that. First um, Corinthians, no, Philippians 2, Paul says, I have thought it necessary. That's like, I, I, I weighed my options and it seems necessary. He says, it is desirable in Acts. Um, it seemed good to them to do this. Even one time it says, just, I have decided, okay? And it's not necessarily we sought exactly who, what, when, where from God, but no, we thought it best. This is just exercising wisdom and a decision. So, how do we go about seeking wisdom? Like, if, if that's something that, yeah, it seems that Scripture would call us to seek, how do we go about doing that? How do we determine what seems good or what seems desirable or advisable or best? And so, I'm going to tell you a couple of things that you've heard before, okay? It's not a. Um, I'm not repeating exactly what I've said before. There's some things that Scripture commands, do's and don'ts that we should start with, but even beyond that, God's word affects our decisions, and we use God's word. For wisdom. So 2 Timothy 3.16 mentioned last week says all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for not some good works, but equipped for every good work. All scripture is good for teaching and these things, and it equips us for every good work. Not just the ones that it says specifically, do this or that, but I would say it gives us wisdom in everything that we have to decide what to do. What percentage? 100% every good work. So even when scripture doesn't give specific direction, like in his moral will, sometimes there's specific direction, do this, don't do this, but there's a couple of ways that, um, there's many ways, but I'll mention a couple that scripture helps us generally to walk in wisdom. Um, first of all, the Bible teaches us priorities. That's not necessarily telling us what to do, but it tells us what to prioritize. So if we're gonna figure out what's spiritually profitable in a given situation, it's gonna help to know some biblical priorities. There's lots of priorities in scripture, but I'll just mention a couple of them. 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God, or all to the glory of God. Okay, there's a priority. So if I'm going to have a couple decisions before, or a couple choices before me, then something I probably ought to consider is a biblical priority of doing something to the glory of God. Well, this one maybe isn't to the glory of God. This one is, so maybe that's a better option. Another priority in Scripture, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Um, so maybe we ask ourselves when the choice is presented before us, well, which choice is going to best contribute to making disciples or to, to evangelization or um, for teaching people about who Jesus is? Like that, that's got to be a priority, I believe, in the life of us as Christians. That's what Jesus kind of leaves his people um, here to do until he returns. So maybe that affects our decision-making, our priorities. Romans 14, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. So weighing out my options, what is going to lead to peace and what's going to build up other people, maybe in the best way or in the most way. So we're presented like with these different options. 
we can look to scripture not just to tell us like what specifically to choose, but to tell us where, I, where our priorities should be. And we can say, well, is this choice gonna, gonna hinder that or gonna help that? Or which of these choices is gonna most accomplish these priorities that God has given to us? The Bible teaches priorities and the Bible teaches attitudes. So what is the manner in which we should accomplish these priorities? Scripture talks about. It's not just make the right decision like in your mind, but what is your heart behind that? We've talked about before. So we ought to make decisions and reach those priorities in love, in reliance on God, in humility, in gratitude, uh, in generosity, in submission, in courage, in contentment. Like those are all those that attitude goes behind the priorities that we're reaching for and all of that leads us to a decision. Instead of, well, we shouldn't have an attitude, even if it's leading, we think to the right priority, we shouldn't have an attitude of independence or pride or laziness or greed or selfishness or self-advancement or cowardice. Um, so the Bible teaches attitudes. Do y'all see how those like play into the decisions that we make, even though they're not speaking specifically, here's the decision that you have to make. Um, another key element, and there's, you can find plenty of books that are going to give you a list of things on how to seek God's wisdom. I'm wanting to put a couple before you that I think, at least in, in as the best of my surveying can go, I think are those that stand out the most, these two, A, B, a and B. Um, we not only receive guidance and wisdom from God sitting alone in our room with the Bible and just like pouring over it ourselves, but... We seek wisdom by listening to God's people. So, I think Keely mentioned that last week. Um, see if the Proverbs, which is a book about wisdom, can get any clearer on this. Proverbs 15. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. Proverbs 20. Prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. Proverbs 24, for by wise guidance you will wage war, and in the abundance of counselors there is victory. Proverbs 11, where there is no guidance the people fall, but in abundance of counselors there is victory. Proverbs 13, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And not only in Proverbs, throughout the Proverbs, but time and time again in Scripture, if you look throughout, there's there's a handful of examples where God seems to seems to be telling us that even with two or three other people, there's there's wisdom that comes from that versus the one person that's alone. And decisions when it comes to confronting sin, um, when it comes to um, just deciding what truth is and what is good, um, having a few other people, having counselors is is critical. And so, maybe you guys can just answer this. What, like, what are some of the things that community around us or God's people around us, how are they going to help us to seek God's wisdom? Through their experience. Okay. Yeah. Like, what they've lived through. Good, yeah. I just raised my hand, I'm sorry. Uh, through their knowledge of God's word. Okay, yep, there it is. Back, back to God's word. Yep, because maybe 
the collective voice of multiple people are actually going to know a little more about scripture than me by myself. Yeah. yeah. I also think through encouragement. Like, okay. Um, Pongo, Jake, and I were uh, were texting each other encouragements. Yeah. And uh, or challenges. Like Jake challenged us to spend ten minutes with God in the mornings on the way to work. Yeah. And uh, like I know this for me, spending those ten minutes with God because of His encouragement has allowed me to hear God's word and listen and, and understand His wisdom a lot better. Good. Because cool. of people. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, yeah, what, how else does, do God's people help us to seek God's wisdom? I think uh, if if you grow in relationship with people in the community and they get to know you in terms of your gifts and your talents and things like that, yes. there are certain affirmations that can come with only, you know, like for a lot of us, probably like our strengths, we always underplay when we don't recognize that we actually have certain strengths in certain areas, and so when determining something in God's will, I think other people would probably be able to tell you the best, like, or what you're best at, and like, I think if you like, yeah, that's absolutely totally in line, or totally out of line. Yeah, or, yeah, or I don't see that in you. Yeah. yeah. Like, man, some American Idol contestants could use some of that wisdom, right? Like, <laughs> I think this is good, like, this makes sense if somebody just would have said, no, it doesn't. Does not, Laura. I, I, don't, I don't see it in you. Or, or yes, this is good. This makes sense. I see. I see that in you. Yeah. Anything else? Just how? How does listening to God's people help us to discern or have wisdom? I think oftentimes I feel blinded by my sin, and uh, God's people or my wife. <laughs> bring truth into your shed light on where I was blinded. Yep. They can see so much that we can't see ourselves. Good. Yeah, maybe they can help you identify how your decision is going to impact the local church you're part of. Maybe they can help you identify, hey, that's if you make that decision, it's going to break a previous commitment that you've made. Lots of like big and little things. They can help you look, hey, here are the circumstances that God has placed you in. And though I don't think we have to read messages into those circumstances, our community of believers around us can help to like help us survey the possibilities of what God's sovereign will has provided for us to do. They can probably identify if you're if you're known well by your community they can help you identify if you have wrong attitudes or wrong priorities again going back to scripture so um, just a, a quick thing to say about the application of this if you want to seek wisdom this way listening to God's people which I think that we we should um, you have to invite other people to to know you and to be involved in your decisions. And probably not just one person, because that, that doesn't sound like an abundance of counselors, and probably not just like you keep going to people till you get the answer of wisdom that you're hoping to get. Um, or, or, you, or somebody has like a vested interest, so yeah, I'm going to ask them because they're going to say what I want them to say. Um, but yeah, you have to you have to be known and invite invite other people into those decisions. Because I know, like, 
I don't know if it's if it's culture or or what, but I'm not going to be prone to just try to help people make a decision unless they're asking for it. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it maybe it should be more that way. I'm not sure, but so in like in our church, that's why we really value smaller groups. It's not just because we're not a huge church, but we want to continue to remain in smaller. We call them fellowship groups, and even smaller groups than that, we've called them three or four groups or whatever, like relationships of three or four or two like people around us, we can be known in that and people can speak some of these things that you all mentioned into our lives and we can gather wisdom from God because I believe God dwells in his people and he uses us to speak truth to each other. When Mary Beth and I were trying to uh, work out like when or, or if we would church plant or if we would move away to be um, missionaries in North Hollywood um, we tried very much, maybe for one of the first times in our life, but um, with a significant decision, we tried to involve God's people and, and seek wisdom from God's people in such a significant decision. Um, we, I believe, were committed to submitting to the consensus of the people around us, whether or not this is a work that it would be wise to proceed in. So it was the elders of our church. Um, it was some of our community group at Cornerstone, specific people we asked, hey, this is what we're thinking about doing. What do you all think? Like, what, do you see this in us? Does this seem good? What's the impact on Cornerstone Church? Um, does this seem to fit in line with what God says our priorities should be, what our attitudes should be? Can you see anything in us that, that our attitudes are wrong in this? Like if this is prideful, like, well, Jared and Mary Beth just are tired of being under the man in the church. And they just want to do their own thing and have their own way to do it. Like if you see that in me, tell me those things. But we were very much trying to submit our decisions to the community around us and do what I think scripture calls us to, to submit to one another. And um, in this case, we got the the green light, but um, I, I have to, I, I hope, and, and moving forward, I hope in my decisions that if the community around me would say, no, you should hold off on this um, for these reasons, or this decision may be more wise, I hope that I would submit to that. Because I've seen when people don't submit to their church community telling them to do something, and they go off and they do it anyway, and the majority of the time, at least, it doesn't turn out so well. So, kind of like I said, hey, don't tell me that you're waiting to hear from God if you're not willing to spend some significant time searching out God's word for what he's already clearly told us. I would also say, don't tell me that you're just waiting to hear from God if you haven't opened yourself up to being known and if you haven't invited other people into your decisions. Because God gives us wisdom through his word and God gives us wisdom through his people. And there's other ways that we can have wisdom that, that maybe we could list out that just won't go into for time's sake tonight. Um, but how do we make decisions if God isn't telling us what, where, when, who? Well, we, we get to know God's word and we seek God's wisdom. Get to the last one in just a second. You might think, or, or thinking back to this, you might think, um, well, where's the Holy Spirit in all of this? Doesn't the Holy Spirit guide us? Like, isn't he supposed to be our guide and tell us what to do? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit wrote this. 
um, he, men were, were carried along, they, they spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So he was very active in writing this book, which we're saying stick close to that. Um, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is he helps us to understand the Bible. 1 Corinthians 2 talks about how the Spirit helps interpret spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, hopefully us. And um, Jesus says in the book of John, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and he'll bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So I think the Holy Spirit reminds us of and helps us understand God's word. The Holy Spirit also dwells in the church community. Paul says, do you not know that you, you plural, you all, are, a, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? I think that's what Jesus is getting at when he says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. So like God's spirit is with us every all along in this process. And, um, and it might not be in the still small voice that we expect the spirit maybe to speak in, because that's the tradition that we've grown up in. So all that to say, just we, we shouldn't let, like, I, I don't want a, a step-by-step plan to remove our deep dependence on God's spirit and our decision-making. And we need the spirit of God to instruct us in these decisions uh, but he gives us tools so that we um, can can hear his voice and tools that he speaks through. Okay, uh, third W. You face a decision. You, you search God's word to see it. does he say anything clearly directly about this matter. You've you've evaluated in wisdom what what our priorities should be for this decision. You've evaluated the attitudes that God would call you to have. You've submitted your decisions to the counsel of other believers. If after all that, you still have multiple options on the table, uh, which you may not, that might just eliminate some things. But if you're, after all that, then God's will for you is to do what you want. What? Mm-hmm. I literally was like, what? <laughs> so... I mentioned this last week, but y'all, like, God gives us freedom to choose stuff. I mentioned last week a couple of biblical examples. I'll give you another one as well. But remember, like, Adam and Eve in the garden, he tells them from any tree of the garden you can eat freely. He even adds freely in there. Anything you want except the one tree, right? Don't eat it that one. He doesn't tell them, eat apples on Monday and pears on Tuesday and persimmons on Wednesday. Eat, you can eat of any tree. Okay, there's, there's freedom here. The only way you can break God's command, the only way you can be out of his will that he's spoken is by eating of this one tree. Beyond that, just do, do, do what you desire, okay? Um, also in the Old Testament, um, there's a, a, a point where the Israelites have to determine for themselves what they want to give as an offering, a free will offering. I mentioned several times in the Old Testament. Um, I love, so a free will offering is just, it, it's not a, a specific amount of it you have to bring. Um, Gary Friesen says this, I think this is really um, interesting. He says, if an Israelite asked God, 
Do you want me to give a free will offering today? How would God answer? If he said yes, then the Israelite would be under obligation to bring it. If he said no, then the Israelite would be prohibited from offering it. Either response from God would prevent the offering from being what it was intended to be, a free will offering. So he gives a choice. It's the same idea in the New Testament with giving. 2 Corinthians 9-7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not here's what you have to give, but God loves a cheerful giver. Not just a rule follower, but God loves somebody who gives what they want, who gives out of the desire of their heart. Who to marry, we looked at that last week. A wife is bound, Paul says, to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband is dead, she's free to marry who she wishes. Whom she wishes, sorry. Only in the Lord. Follow God's command, like stay married, but if he dies, you can marry whoever you want, only in the Lord. There's the command in the Lord beyond that freedom. Choose who you want. There's, he doesn't say, then if you want to get married again, then find the one that I'm telling you to marry. He doesn't micromanage our decision. And I'm not saying that God doesn't care about those decisions. I think that God is equally pleased in those decisions. Um, Augustine said, love God and do whatever you please. If you're loving God, that's probably some of these things that you're submitting to him in, then do whatever you please. Uh, it was like last week, I mentioned my mom making Christmas cookies, and, and when we come and visit them in the holidays, it's not like she's just, ah, you should have picked the almond bark, you know? No, she doesn't care. She like wants to give me these good options and I just choose what I want. Or it's like I was studying on Monday and I was watching Calvin, my dog, walk around trying to decide where to lay down. It's a tough choice. There's lots of floor <laughs> space. And he knows, or I've discussed with him, that there's two places that I don't want him to lay down. If I don't want him on the couch. If there's nobody on the furniture, he's not supposed to be on the furniture. And I don't want him in the guest bedroom because I don't want him taking up the space or thinking that that's his territory in the guest bedroom. But anywhere else, like, I love it. I, this is dorky, but I love to see, like, Calvin kicking it all day long while I'm sitting studying. And I don't care if he's laying on the carpet. I think, well, that's all we have, you know, carpet. It's cool. It's comfortable. Or he's in his bed that we provided for him. Yes, I love that. Or he's on the hardwood floor. It's nice and cool and whatever. I, I'm not thinking, oh, gosh, I wish Calvin would just lay over there at this time. But it's, it's freedom to choose. Maybe that's a silly... Uh, but so y'all this is this is a process i purposely said step one step two step three because step one knowing god's word is foundational and, and god's word in these things holds more weight than anything else that somebody could tell you or what our desires are god's word kind of takes the priority in that. And step three, like, do what you want. Well, that's only, like, that's foolishness if, if that's the only one that you read right there, if you start there. Well, here's step one. I get to do what I want. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Um, but they're in a particular order. I'll give you just one more little story. Um, my, I think it was my brother-in-law, Chris, when he was trying to decide whether or not he was going to marry my sister, Rachel, um, he was just struggling, like, is this God's will? Is she the one that I'm supposed to marry? And he got together with a pastor, a friend of his and mine, and the pastor was just asking him some simple questions. Chris, you're struggling through this. Is she the one? Is she, should you marry her? 
He said, Chris, are you growing in your understanding of God's word? Well, yeah. Chris, are you surrounding yourself with the people of God and, and submitting your, yourself to their input in your life? Well, yeah. Has any of that ruled out Rachel as a wife? Well, no. Do you want to marry her? Yeah. Go for it. Like, <laughs> good. That's good. It's a good choice. That's God's will if you want, you know, the, the blessing. It's, it's good. You've gone through seeking God in that decision. So word, wisdom, want. And really these things I feel like are just helping us really to submit to God's moral will more than anything. But um, just a, a couple of, of final thoughts on God's sovereign will, that top one there. When you've landed on your decision, so this one kind of gives you the freedom at the end to choose whatever falls within the lines of those. Um, I think James would have some advice for us. James 4, 13 through 15 says this. Come now, you who say, this sounds like a decision somebody's made. Today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit Maybe they went through word, wisdom, and want like to decide that. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Instead, James says, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, I will live to do this or that. So God doesn't promise to make things happen according to our projected outcome, even if we've gone through a process like this. We have to make decisions with an incredible amount of humility, knowing that God's sovereign will, which we don't know, is going to happen. And so we could probably write on here, like, leave the outcome to God. Because sometimes our, our decisions, the best of our decision-making doesn't turn out how we expect that it would turn out or work out. But do you remember Paul and Silas with the Macedonian call? It, they were following God's actually specific, special revelation to them, and the result of that is that they are thrown into prison and beaten. So they could have very well thought, well, God, you called me to this. Why aren't you blessing this work? And so we have to leave the outcome to God. We, Mary Beth and I, in 2006, bought a home in Bakersfield. To the best of our wisdom and knowledge and seeking God's word and seeking people, we think this is a good choice. And now uh, we just sold it and we're $70,000 poor for it. So there you go. And we could shake our fist and say, well, God, we, we, were, we were seeking your word. We were listening to advice around us. But even if you've landed, even if we've landed on a wise decision through this process, we can't demand a certain outcome. But here's the, the second thing regarding God's sovereign will I want to say. Even... Even though that happens, here's what we get to fall back on in God's sovereign will. Romans 8, 28, you probably know it. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We can't mess God up. Once something happens, you can be assured it was God's sovereign will for it to happen. So we can leave the outcome to God. But why would God allow such and such to happen? Why didn't he bless this? The answer, because ultimately, if you believe in God's sovereign will, it was the best of all possible plans 
that happened. Um, just to end, I, uh, and then we can have some discussion and questions. Um, I don't think, after saying all of this, that God is ultimately concerned about circumstances and decisions. And I think what God is ultimately after is our faith in him, our trust in him, and our trust that his will is better than our will. Like, I truly think that you can, you can go about seeking God's will in other ways than these three steps, okay? And I have plenty of friends that seek God's will in solitude, trying to listen to the voice of God. And whether you're seeking him that way, whether you're doing three W's, whatever it is, I don't think God's most concerned with that process. I think here's what God really wants. His will is for us to submit our will to his will. That's what I think God wants in our decision making. He's not thinking, oh, are they going to choose? Are they going to choose correctly? Thank you. But he's wanting us to trust him. Will they believe that my will is best? Will they believe that they can trust my sovereign will as it unfolds? Will they believe that they can trust my moral will that it's actually best? I think that's what God wants from us. He wants us to be conformed in the image of Jesus who prays not as I will, Father, but as you will. Have you guys ever thought about that prayer? It's kind of interesting. Jesus saying, here's Here's my deepest desire. Don't give me what I will, but your will. Or here's what I really want. Not what I want, but what you want. <laughs> so Jesus' deepest desire was to look past the circumstances and trust in the Father's will. And I believe that's what God wants from us and calls us to.